distributed ledger technology creates incredible efficiencies around title transfer. So that means that you and I could buy a house in a second rather than waiting for a whole load of processes to happen. The Startup Sensations podcast. First-hand accounts of the real stories behind the successes, challenges, and opportunities of starting and growing a startup company. From both sides of the pond, with Bulent Osman and Shelley Bays. And welcome back to another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast with me, Bulent Osman, from very close to London here in the UK. And me, Shelley Bays, here on the somewhat rainy, foggy Northern California coast. Lovely to hear that, Shelley. We match your weather here in London as well. <laughs> We'll talk about matching. We've got a wonderful guest today, haven't we? And uh, she is an amazing person. And the subject matter is digital assets. So otherwise known as crypto, cryptocurrency, some people know it as, or tokenization. There are a lot of terms uh, in this whole area. And uh, certainly for me, and I'm probably a lot of people listening, they know maybe a little bit about it, but really there's a lot to unpack here. And so we're going to try and demystify this whole area with a lady called Nikki Beatty. And you know Nikki, don't you, Shelley? Yes, I actually worked with Nikki a number of years ago in London. Um, she has quite a stellar career in financial services, worked for Merrill Lynch uh, for a while, which is when I knew her, and uh, has moved over the years into uh, more and more in this field of, as you say, cryptocurrencies and digital assets. And yeah, I think it will be very interesting to hear what she has to say, because like you said, people have a little bit of knowledge, maybe misunderstand the terminology, don't see where it plays a role in the future. So I'm I'm really interested in in learning myself more about this area. Yeah, me too. And I'm delighted to say Nikki Beatty now joins us from London. And Nikki, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Bilant. How are you? I'm very well. And Shelley and I are absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, and we've got a lot of questions we'd love to ask you. So first of all, Nikki, tell us a little bit about what you're involved in today that has to do with this really interesting topic of digital assets. Thanks, Shelley. What I do today is um, I run a very niche strategic um, consultancy business, which is all about financial market infrastructure. And when I talk about that, I mean about things like stock exchanges, clearing houses, central depositories. I think most people are familiar, familiar with exchanges, but maybe not everything else that happens after that but very involved in that and trading technology and sort of modernizing the world of financial markets, basically. And then aside from that, I sit on the boards as a board director and, and also as a chair, actually, of a number of different companies that are all associated with either financial market infrastructure or trading type of firms and organizations that, or technology firms, actually, that interact with financial markets and the infrastructure. And chair of Clear Token. I am, yes. So one of the things I do, which is extremely relevant to uh, what we are talking about today, is I chair a new clearinghouse for digital assets, which is called Clear Token. But so, Nikki, how did you get to, to where you are today? 
because you have a very impressive background. Thank you. Um, well, let me say, first of all, I never intended to work in financial markets. So that was a, a sort of really? accident along the way, really. Um, and so, uh, yes, I, I went off traveling for many years and uh, did a number of different things. I lived, lived in Australia, came back here. But uh, when I came back here, I did start working in financial markets. London was really just booming and uh, I had a background in technology and so I joined an investment bank and it was just at the point at which markets were starting to go electronic. So actually before when I joined the bank, you know, if you wanted to place an order, you rang somebody up with the telephone and this was now going to be all, all the orders were going to be matched in new electronic systems on the stock exchange and that meant everybody's processes had to be electronified as well. So there was a big change in the 90s as to how markets worked and that changed market infrastructure. It changed everybody's economic models, motivations, it changed regulation. And so I became really interested in that. And about 14 years ago, in the prelude to the the big crisis, I thought actually I'd rather be out there on my own uh, providing advice around all of this. So um, that's what I went off to do. And that's why I set up the business I run today. So digital assets. Well, it's interesting that uh, that they're now called digital assets. I mean, a lot of people have heard of uh, Bitcoin some years ago, cryptocurrency, and there are different types of cryptocurrency assets around the world. But I believe now that you could pull them all together and call them digital assets. So could you just dumb it down for us and just give us a a kind of a, a 101 on what these things really are? How do they work? And actually, why do they matter? I think digitization is the broad term for recording assets digitally and digitalization is the broad term for moving the processing of those digital assets basically onto distributed ledger. That's what we're all talking about now when we talk about digitalization and distributed ledger is is really blockchain is a really good example of distributed ledger. It's the one most people know and have heard about. So we're moving digital assets onto the blockchain for processing. And then everybody talks about tokens. So tokens are really a subset of that program of digitization and digitalization. Uh, And a, a token or tokenization is really the process of converting or claiming an asset and the rights uh, to that asset into a digital representation or a token, which is then run on the blockchain network. And tokenization sort of implies that there's an account management that's done using cryptographic keys rather than in the traditional format when you wanted to move an asset, whether it was money or something else. You went into, for example, the bank and there was an operator and somebody was moving that money around. So the token is now sitting on the blockchain and it's been managed cryptographically, if that makes sense. I hope it does. So tokens are a piece of something physical. Generally, they are. They represent a physical good. And a cryptocurrencies like Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever, they are more the equivalent of a currency that we're familiar with today. Yes. Only you don't get a dollar bill in your wallet. Yes. So there's two things. I mean, so you can digitize a currency um, as we know it today. And and, and many of us now are transacting without having to go into our wallet, etc. But the cryptocurrencies that are out there are mediums of exchange that have been developed in the same way that money that we know has been developed. 
uh, and they embody similar characteristics as real world currency, but they've got their own sets of uh, common beliefs and trust. And they're all pertaining to be the the sort of incentive or, or the economic model that rewards and fuels that system. So you can decide whether you believe in Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of those other things. What are the misconceptions people have that you see? I mean, what is preventing people dealing in these currencies more? I mean, I don't. So ignorance is one. It's maybe it's good to take the analogy of the current systems today. So I talked a bit earlier about market infrastructure, and we all know really what a stock exchange is, but most people probably don't understand unless they're in the industry, uh, what a clearinghouse or what a central depository is. So clearinghouses and central depositories are what create trust in the system. And today that's all done by properly regulated market infrastructure. When you go to an exchange, it's allowed to call itself an exchange because the regulators have developed a label for it. They've developed certain standards for it. And if you don't meet that and meet that regulatory approval, you can't really call yourself an exchange or a clearinghouse or a central depository. So I think the first thing is in this crypto world, Although these companies are calling themselves exchanges or custodians, very few of them are regulated. So they're not, they're just putting a label on themselves that they don't necessarily justify. And that means the trust isn't basically there in the way that it would be when you buy an equity or a bond today. And and the really big thing is that if you don't understand that, you don't really know what's happening with your money. So for example, if I want to buy some Bitcoin from you today, Shelley, I have to put up some money. I have to pre-fund an account with a company that's offering to, to sell me this Bitcoin. I don't really know anything about that company. Actually, it's got no regulatory labels. It's got no regulatory approvals. I don't really know who owns it. I don't really know what's on the balance sheet of that company, but I'm willing to put in, say, £10,000 or dollars. And I'm hoping that you're going to deliver my $10,000 or pounds, and you're going to hope that you get that money on the other side. But reality is it's going into this big black hole that doesn't have any labels. It's Potentially, they've all been privately owned. There's nothing wrong with private ownership, but actually there's been no rules or regulations or segregation of your assets versus that company. And so you don't know that system of trust. And then basically, at the end of it, I'm still waiting for your money to come across. And that's all got to be transferred across this company that we don't actually know anything about. We're putting good faith in this system. So mostly this has been a retail business up till now. Mm-hmm. And Retail customers tend not to understand the processes and the risks that they are taking, particularly the credit risks with the counterparties before they get whatever it is delivered to them that they've bought. Can you just put this in context in terms of the business world? Because there are traditional ways of buying assets and, and uh, making investments in companies and, and buying shares and, and dealing with uh, the stock exchange as we know it. So what place does all this have and what's the value of it? So when we talk about stocks and bonds today, they're actually certainly the stock market is, is actually quite well electronified, quite efficient. The trust exists in that system. So you could say that actually those systems are actually working quite well. I think that the bigger opportunity that is out there. So when we talk about digital assets, yes, stocks and shares and bonds will be moved to become digital assets, but they're probably not the most important thing right now. If you imagine something like property today, if you want to buy a house, There's a lot of paperwork that has to be moved around in order for you to buy that house. So actually, digitalization and digitization will occur with all types of assets. And I think that's a really exciting thing is um, 
distributed ledger technology creates incredible efficiencies around title transfer, the integrity of that ownership, knowledge, who owns what. Things that become digitized will be moved much more quickly. So that means that you and I potentially could buy a house in a second rather than waiting for a whole load of processes to happen. And then the really exciting thing that happens on the back of that is this idea that you can fractionalize assets. So actually that big commercial property downtown that you might never dream of owning a piece of, once it becomes fractionalized in, because tokenization allows for fractionalization, it allows much more easily for us to track who owns what, then everybody can start investing in all sorts of things that have been really hard to invest in before. So in a way, securities and bonds almost come at the end of all of that. It's just that it's the magnitude of what could be done using distributed ledger technology is phenomenal and the efficiencies are, are fantastic. How far down the track of making this a reality for most people are we? Um, I don't think we're that far away, actually. So um, I think what people have to get their head around is where is the definitive record of ownership? Uh, and, and how is that really going to be managed on the distributed ledger? And so lots of people talk about whether there should be public blockchain or private blockchain and those sorts of things. But actually, this is all moving quite fast. So certainly in the UK, uh, we've just had a number of laws being introduced. In Europe, we've got laws being introduced around all of this. So I think it is actually moving quite fast. And what we're seeing now is a shift from the retail interest in cryptocurrencies to institutional realization of what digital assets really mean. It's not just a bunch of cryptocurrencies. It's that every asset that's out there, basically. And when I have people who talk to me about tokenizing forests, all sorts of things that you could invest in. And so I don't think we're that far away from that happening, but the rules and regulations around that um, are always going to be behind where the industry is moving. So they're, they're just starting to come to the fore now. If the big major financial institutions all said to their, let's say, retail customers, you can buy a stock or a bond or a Bitcoin, it would presumably be more trustworthy than maybe the way the whole system operates today. So chicken or the egg, what's regulations versus the major shift on the part of financial institutions? Look, you know, if you're the incumbent in an industry, there'll always be inertia to adopt some of these things. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of risks involved. So actually the bank's the last pit in the chain, actually, to say, oh, yes, go ahead and invest in cryptocurrencies, Mr. Customer. The first thing is that whole chain of events that I spoke about, the trust in the system, understanding who owns what, at what point in time, because it's not instantaneous when you think you're buying uh, something today, that all needs to be understood, I think, before the bank would be saying, oh, yes, we want you to be investing in this. But is that the regulator? I'm trying to understand how does this level of trust evolve? It evolves through institutions that want to be regulated and start playing along the lines of what we have known in traditional financial market infrastructure. So Clear Token, where I chair the business, is a really good example of that. You know, clearing houses are something that exists today in financial market infrastructure, and they basically manage the counterparty credit risk. So they basically stand in the middle of a transaction. They're independent, mainly from, from the people who are making the transaction. And they say, we'll manage it. We'll guarantee you, Shelley, buy your, uh, your Bitcoin or you get your cash. 
uh, and Nikki, I'll get the same. And and you and I never have to know who each other are because this counterparty stands in the middle of that. Uh, and then again, it's with the the custodians with who have the digital wallets that will actually hold the official record of what you own. So we've we've got to get comfortable that there is some way of knowing that you and I own an asset and that somebody else can't just come along and take that asset or somebody else can't fork the code and, and suddenly we've got duplications of assets. So we've got to be sure about those sorts of things. Once people have understood that, and we're definitely seeing that um, infrastructure starting to develop, once people have understood that and now the regulators are starting to understand that and then they apply regulations around it, then the banks will feel more happy about saying, yeah, why don't you invest in this? Because we trust the entire system and the chain of events from front to back rather than this rather sort of unknown world at the moment. And, and don't forget, the banks have to evolve as well. This is going to massively impact their business, but they're also thinking about creating their own coins and all sorts of things. So there's a lot of upside and innovation for them that's quite exciting, but all of the ducks have to be lined up for it to work. It's coming up to a year now since FTX collapsed, uh, which obviously hit the headlines worldwide. And looking back, are there lessons for the industry to learn from that? And secondly, has the industry tightened up in certain areas? Have things changed? Is it a safer place to be now? I think many people were just waiting for something like FTX to happen. When it did, I think it was a revelation. Crikey, you know, these people, what do they call themselves? They call themselves an exchange. They've given themselves that label. And and actually, in the meantime, they're doing all sorts of things with customer money. So if you'd been looking at any of this, you'd be like, well, what were you expecting? But the thing is that people didn't understand the process that it was going through. So FTX, could you see the balance sheet? Did you know what was going on in the organization? Absolutely not. And yet it calls itself an exchange. It said it had custody of all these customer assets. So all the things I just said about having properly labeled infrastructure that's properly regulated did not exist in that environment. And so it was inevitable that something was going to blow up. Talk to us a little bit about where tokenization per se is going. What other forms of tokenization do you see exist today and where can it go in the future? Look, there's no doubt people are trying to tokenize funds. You're seeing people tokenize art. And so there's actually quite a lot being done in many different spaces. I suppose, where do I see it going in the future? Um, You know, like I said, property was a good example, but people are talking to me about tokenizing forests, whether it's for environmental reasons. But, you know, if if you want to invest in a forest, how do you do that today? It's damn difficult. But if it's tokenized, it should actually be easy. I've had people talk to me about tokenizing lions in the Serengeti so that the lion can be tracked, so that uh, villagers can be compensated when the uh, lion eats a goat. (laughs) So, you know, there's all sorts of really interesting things. And I think the point is that once these things are tokenized, the velocity of our capital deployment in any, you know, country basically just speeds up. I mean, ultimately, mortgages, 
airplane leases, cars, everything could be tokenized. And then it makes it much easier to own part of something, all of something, to leverage your asset, to do something else with it. It's it's really exciting. You know, you talked about cryptocurrencies and people being very negative about them. And I, I see cryptocurrencies as being sort of a big experiment as we lead into this new world of, of tokenization. And whether they survive or not, we don't know. But actually, they're just a demonstration of what can be done. But I, I think they're just sort of leading the way in all of that. I think there's so many things that are confused in all of this discussion. So, you know, I'm really excited about all of the, the tokenization, um, all the processes we just talked about, what you can do. But then I think people talk about decentralized finance, but I think that's a bit of a an area of confusion. And I think it's an area that I don't believe is going to move as quickly as what we talked about with tokenization. And so there's this tension, I think, between what I would call decentralized finance purists, who were probably the people who came at the beginning of all the cryptocurrency decentralization. We don't need any intermediaries to do any of these things because it's such a perfect system and all the cryptographic uh, keys will work and we'll all be able to verify everything that we own and and sort of find each other on the system. I, I, I don't believe in that. I actually think... Yes, we've got loads of benefits that are going to come from this idea that that we can tokenize things, but we still need intermediaries, like I've explained, with similar characteristics to the infrastructures and the intermediaries that we see today. Maybe they'll have to change. Maybe that not all of them will survive in this new world, but we will still need to be applying the same principles of some sort of intermediation. So a lot of our listeners are startup founders. How does this apply to them. So, you know, there are startups that are taking on various challenges associated with everything you've just discussed. But then for other startups, you know, they look for money, right? To raise money, to grow and expand. How does this affect them or does it? Well, uh, (laughs) so, I mean, the first thing I would say is if you're a startup, then uh, you might want to think about keeping your employee share program in a distributed ledger format. So tokenized so there are plenty of new startups that are considering using the ledger for that. As those startups grow, I think the really interesting thing is at some point you'll have a startup that's so exciting that'll have all of its shares basically sitting on the ledger that everyone will go, oh, that's good. We don't even have to go to the old conventional process in order to to IPO. You know, I've just said we need intermediaries and infrastructure and we do but I think there's opportunities where we'll start morphing what some things do today into something else. So, for example, at some point, a big company like Apple or Google could run its own market. And maybe it doesn't need the exchange as we know it today. There'll be different types of organizations in there. So I'm extrapolating out quite a bit. And you'd probably want to be, you'd want to be a big and exciting startup to be the one that, that really went down that route. But at some point, that'll be where those sorts of things start to, to go in terms of raising finance, I'm not sure that just raising money in cryptocurrencies, et cetera, is, is probably not where startup firms are going to be unless you're trying to make a point about the crypto industry. So I'd probably just say it's about their share programs initially uh, and managing employee ownership. And just going back to basics a little bit, who owns the ledger? Who kind of runs it, manages it, maintains it on a day-to-day week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Uh, And what level of governance is there for it to remain there and operate with full integrity? No one owns the public blockchain. And and purists would tell you that's fantastic because 
you know, that that's the exciting thing about, and that's what I'm really talking about when I'm talking about decentralized finance. Everybody thinks that the, the system's good enough that it doesn't need management and governance. But the problem is that we're now talking about moving trillions of dollars of assets into this uh, forum. And I don't think anyone's going to move them into a distributed ledger that doesn't have some governance. So, you know, you could go two ways. One is actually the entire public blockchain needs to be governed in some way and there probably need to be some rules around it to prevent the things that you've just said from happening. But then who who does that? If it's a public blockchain, it's worldwide, etc. So it's just so complex to think about that, that actually you can say, okay, what people are actually going to do is, is use ring fence parts of the ledger. So they're going to use the ledger, but they're going to put a ring fence around it and say, this is this is the bit that I know about that I can verify if you work with me within this, then I'm going to have that bit regulated. It's going to be regulated by a certain national regulator, those sorts of things. So where I think we're definitely going to end up is going down that route rather than this public blockchain that that services everything and everybody. And that's why, you know, where we started with this infrastructure play is it's all about, so if you look at the digital asset custodians they're not doing this on the public blockchain. They're actually ring fencing the blockchain to run their own services. So they're using the technology, but they're not using the idea that it's just completely decentralized and there's no governance of it. I'm just interested just also to ask you about the actual infrastructure, the technology that runs this on the worldwide basis. There are huge server farms and and huge amounts of processing power that takes place in multiple locations. How has that grown in recent years and and what do you see the future for that? So, I mean, it's definitely grown. I don't have all the statistics and I don't claim to be the expert on on sort of monitoring um, that growth. And look, there's lots of environmental questions that rise out of that as well. There's no doubt that all this requires more and more processing power. But I think the genie is out of the bottle. I don't think we can just put a lid on it. You know, in, in the years that I've been in trading and technology and stock markets, the amount of power just in that industry alone that we've consumed is it's grown massively. Should we just stop all that today? No. So we, we need to find some answers to this. And then, you know, it's, it's like all these things about the environment is how do we how do we measure what's more efficient versus what isn't? The fact that people are pushing bits of paper around today, they may have to drive from one place to another. I used to do work in one market. Um, when a stock and a share changed hands, uh, someone had to drive with a stock certificate often for, for a day, you know, in an armoured car <laughs> to a uh, security pod deposit somewhere to get the, the you know, or to, to bring back the, the certificate that verified the ownership. So, you know, if you could do all of that in a split second, is that better for the environment or not? So there's lots of questions to be answered, but I can't see the processing power decreasing. I think it's only going to carry on going up. So just to reiterate again what you think are the top two or three sort of um, themes, if you will, that people should think about as they explore this whole area of cryptocurrency. You know, trust obviously is one. And then remind us again what Clear Token is doing in moving all of this forward. Look, it is about trusting the system. Do you trust the system that you are dealing with? And 
in order to know whether you trust the system, do you know who the people are? Do you know what the you know the balance sheet of the company is you're dealing with? So people need to ask themselves all of those questions when dealing in any of these new cryptocurrencies, crypto assets. You know, our view at ClearToken is that the central trust that exists in other markets today, like in the stock market, does not exist in digital assets and will be required. So ClearToken is intending to be that central counterparty that sits between everybody making a transaction and guarantees that that transaction is going to occur. No transaction settles instantaneously or very few um, in, in any market today. And so you always have to imagine what happens between the time that I hand over my money and the time that I receive my asset. That's what people should be asking themselves. And actually, if you start looking into the process, you'll be going, okay, well, that's quite interesting. So these people that I don't really know are sitting on my, my assets. And so ClearToken is looking to solve that for institutions, Retail customers are, are sort of somewhere down the value chain and all of that. They, the, the repercussions will help them, but initially it'll be institutions that adopt what ClearToken is doing. What is it about this area that gets you excited? Uh, what is your level of optimism for the future and how are you feeling about the next sort of five plus years in this area? So, look, I love change and transformation. I love thinking about what happens if this comes along and what's the opportunity that could be created by new technologies. So I'm really excited by any change and, and this new type of technology. And every so often something really, really transformational comes along. And I think distributed ledger is one of those things that's going to transform the way we all transact for the next 100 years. That's basically what gets me really excited. And I think, you know, we're just on the cusp of what this can do for us. We're only just exploring cryptocurrencies are a tiny pimple on the elephant's bottom of where we might actually get to. And look, I think it's it's good for nations, for economies. Like I said, the velocity of capital that can be deployed is just far greater. That is hopefully good for healthy economies rather than slowing things down, making transactions really a long time to, to deal with. And hopefully, um, ultimately, it sort of democratizes the whole investment process uh, as more people, like I said, you know, if you can own a fraction of something, if you're really interested in different things, don't just have to buy in stocks and shares anymore. Like I said, you know, with the whole issue, interest in the environment, well, yeah, I could own a part of a forest, I could own part of somebody else's car. I just think it's fascinating where it can take us. Nikki, I'm I'm really interested to hear your views about how the future of artificial intelligence, AI, that we're all talking about these days, how, how it'll impact your industry today. First of all, just in relation to distributed ledger, I think AI and distributed ledger, they're not dependent on each other, but there's going to be lots of crossover opportunities I think in general, we're already seeing the sort of basic tenets of it in, in the industry. Generally, I think it's a force for good. Um, I think you could say the same for, for many different industries. Um, we need to be obviously careful how how it's applied. The, the big question really, and I think what we're already seeing is that some firms have the ability or they have put front and center the investment into AI and into the data that sort of the fuel behind it and others don't. And I, I worry, I mean, I run a strategic business, consulting business, and I talk to people and if data isn't front and center of their strategies, I, I'm really worried actually about the future of those sorts of organizations because 
I think those that put investment into AI and data will have a massive leap over the the organizations that don't. But I back to actually our, your question earlier about processing power and those sorts of things. I mean, there is a huge investment that has to be made in processing power and hardware in order to be able to run all of these things. And I think that firms completely underestimate what it takes. And and so what you're seeing is firms creating barriers to entry around them just by having that investment. And the more they invest, the more successful they become and leave other firms behind is really what I'm trying to say. And that's my big concern. And then how do those other firms sort of really enter the environment and use that data and AI to, to their benefit? So you could say, well, okay, you know, whoever takes the risks and who actually wants to invest is is going to be the winner and that's great. But you worry about who might get left behind in this process and whether or not, I think we're going to be creating some very big companies in the same way we've got the alphabet companies on the back of AI. So, you know, I think there's regulatory considerations, competition issues that need to be looked into. And, and Nikki, if people want to learn more about ClearToken or your firm market structure, can they get in touch with you directly? Is there a website you would refer them to? Yes. So the Clear Token website should be found at cleartoken.io. And if people are more interested generally in how market structure might change, I run a company called Market Structure Partners. It's easy to find on the web. Well, super. Thank you so much, Nikki. Really, um, this has been very interesting for me. It is a difficult, complex and fast moving area. So, you know, you've you've helped a lot in terms of just giving us some real good grounding. Okay, well, I hope it was helpful. Certainly was. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, Shelley, that was a really fascinating conversation with Nikki. I have to confess that I've learned a lot, but there are still lots of questions that I might want to ask and and learn about. But there was a lot of information there. You know, you're absolutely right. This is a difficult, complex, emerging area. And so one of the things one has to learn is what's the vocabulary? You know, Nikki explained a certain amount of that for us but as you as you point out it still leaves more and more and more questions yeah that's though i think what people need to strive for is to become more capable of understanding through knowledge of what the terms mean and therefore the structure of the whole industry stepping away from the specifics she talked about some very interesting philosophical issues one of the big ones was trust. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that struck me as one of the big, big underlying themes here. The building of trust has been somewhat a rocky road. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this company, FTX, who uh, recently went bankrupt. And, and, and so that doesn't do any favors when the broader world are trying to trust this new way of working, this new way of, of, of trading. And so there's, there's clearly more work to be done there. And Nikki uh, explained that very well, I thought. Yeah, her point about the regulators focusing on this, you know, because Nikki comes from an exchange financial services kind of background. So the idea that these kinds of, you know, the, the stock exchange that we normally think of is regulated, but these 
crypto exchanges, so to speak, or not. They call themselves exchanges, but they're not yet fully regulated. And so therefore, and she said this in very clear English, you don't know what's happening to your money. And that's, you don't know who the counterparty is. And that's what the people working to create trust in this industry are working towards. So I think that's important. But she also had some interesting concepts around this fractionalizing of assets and other kinds of things. Um, so there were some real positive opportunities in the future. Absolutely. I mean, she was very positive about the future, which which gave me a lot of uh, confidence because uh, she's an incredibly experienced and talented individual. And she was excited about the fact that within a matter of seconds, you could buy a fractional part of a, of an asset. I think she used the example of a forest or something where you could buy a couple of tokens, which is a, a, a tiny fraction of a forest, and do that electronically. So all these things are incredibly exciting at one side, but there is the challenge of trust in the system and uh, demystifying the whole thing so people can work with confidence in this area. So uh, it, it's a fascinating area going forward, isn't it? It is. Um, I, I draw the analogy a bit to AI, which is there are positives and negatives. So huge positives in terms of what AI may do, huge positives in terms of what something like this can be in terms of ownership, as you describe. Negatives as well, potential climate issues. Yeah, because I, I read somewhere that there's huge computing power in multiple server farms around the world that are constantly going 24-7 to provide the energy and the, the processing power to make this whole world of the decentralized ledger work. You know, the carbon footprint is perhaps uh, particularly large. And of course, there are no answers to that. And these are some of the challenges that the whole industry faces. And as you say, a little bit like artificial intelligence, there'll be plenty of good that comes out of this, but there'll be some challenges for us as a society and certainly as an industry to grapple with and to deal with. So it's a fascinating area going forward. Thanks for listening to Startup Sensations. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Follow us on the Startup Sensations podcast LinkedIn page and watch video highlights on our YouTube channel. We love hearing your feedback and questions, so get in touch. Email hello at startupsensations.com. You can message us or send a voice note on WhatsApp. You'll find the number in the description. The Startup Sensations podcast.